seat. All right. Well, good morning, Docs Church. Guys, go ahead and grab your Bible. Find your way to the book of Acts, chapter 8. If you are, in fact, new, I want to welcome you again. Guys, if we haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you here at at Doxa with us today. But guys, here's where we're at um, this morning. All right, We're, we're wrapping up this teaching series that we have titled Six Marks, where we're really just kind of looking at the portrait of a disciple. All right, we're, we're considering like six distinguishing marks of someone who loves and is following Jesus. And really, this is kind of becoming like a blueprint of like how we follow Jesus together here at Doxa. And it also kind of is like a, a metric. So when people ask us, man, that, that overly Christian question, like how's your walk with God? Like, how do you answer that? Guys, some of these marks, these six marks, really we can start to measure our lives against the life of Jesus, helping us to grow in spiritual maturity, ultimately more and more into the men and women that God has created us to be. And beginning next week, for those of you who are planners, you're like, okay, this is six weeks, where are we going? All right, we're going to journey through the gospel of Mark over the next seven months. And really, I'm excited about this because it's going to be a a continuation of these marks. Because all these marks we see in the life of Jesus throughout the words of Scripture. And so here's my encouragement to you. All right, as we prepare to journey through the book of Mark together, guys, grab your Bible this week and just read through the first chapter of Mark and come ready, prepared to really just examine the words, the works, and the ways of the man who is God. We're going to be looking at Jesus and asking the question like, who is he and what does it actually mean for our lives today here in Madison, Wisconsin? All right, so grab your Bible, Acts chapter 8. Guys, we're going to start in verse 26. We're on this sixth mark of a disciple today, this idea of being an inviter. And here's what we need to know with this, okay? Because to recap, we've, we've kind of looked at five of these different marks. The disciple of Jesus we looked at is a worshiper. And we talked about the truth of God that being is actually greater than doing. And this is kind of runs in contrary to the way our culture tends to think about life today. But we, we talked about how we've been created to worship before we work. And we actually work out of a place of worship. And we ask God to give us the heart of Mary while he gives us the hands of Martha. And then we considered how a disciple is a becomer, and we learned of the reality that we can't drift into godliness, but it's the work of God's grace meeting our effort in following him that we grow into the men and women that he has created us to be. And then we looked at the idea of being a lover, that our lives would say the right thing about God. And since God is love, the primary mark of our lives should be love. It's love for God and it's love for people, which is the two greatest commands given by Jesus. Investor was the fourth mark, that we would give and serve like the Jesus whom we say that we follow, that Jesus wasn't a lame sacrifice, so we don't give a lame sacrifice in return. And then last week, we looked at this idea of being a neighbor, where we live our lives towards the people around us like Jesus, where we're seeing people, we're helping people, we're loving people, we're welcoming people, just like our God has seen, helped, loved, and welcomed us. And as we get into the mark of an inviter, guys, I want you to understand that this is really just the overflow of those other five marks. All right, hear me on this. We don't just kind of white-knuckle it and try to be an inviter, but really we are compelled. It's like what Paul says in, in, in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, right, that the love of Christ compels him. Because if we are those five other things, 
the natural overflow will be for us to want to invite people to experience the goodness of God through Jesus that has changed our life and given us hope and perspective and peace and joy. And so as we think about being an inviter, it's rooted in this idea that people are the mission. Hear me on this, people are the mission. Our mission as a church is is not to have a great band or amazing events or to grow to be like a huge church with a bunch of money and an impressive building or any of that, but our mission is people, to help, to love, to serve people, adding to their lives. And for sure, we we do that by giving generously of of money to help with, with food and housing and all of those different things, but above everything, more important than anything, is that people meet Jesus. And so we give the gospel And to be sure that we're all on the same page with with understanding this idea of of being an inviter and understanding this passage here in Acts 8, I need to give you two preliminary understandings, okay? Number one, we need to be clear on the state of humanity, okay? Because we can like kind of look around to culture and maybe you hear people say we're, we're getting better as people, but really kind of we're not getting better. All right, culture, society, we're just kind of going around the same cul-de-sac, gradually getting worse and worse. But when it comes to us as people, there's both a wonderful truth and a really difficult, terrible truth. And you've, we've talked about this a number of times if you've been around Doxa, but the wonderful truth is that all of humanity is created in the image of God. And what this means is that you've never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God, that all people regardless of race and gender and political alignment, believe it or not, all have dignity, value, worth, and purpose. And this is so important for us to know. Now, the hard, the difficult, the terrible truth is also this, is that while all people are significant in the eyes of God, all people are simultaneously sinners in need of a savior. And when we talk about sin, sin is just anything that God is not. And the nature of sin is that it separates. It separates us from God and it separates us from people. In sin, we might not like to talk about sin, but it's very helpful to talk about sin because understanding sin helps us to understand why the world is the way that it is, why there's conflict in your marriage, why there's hardships in your life, why there's tears in your eyes. Guys, the Bible says it's a result of sin. And all of us, we're all impacted and affected by sin. And sin, unmediated, leads to eternal separation from God, which is just a terrible conscious reality of hell. But God, in love, at the perfect time in the fulfillment of prophecy, steps into our story as the man Jesus Christ. He lives for us, he dies for us, he raises for us, and through faith in him, he takes our sin, gives us his righteousness, and brings us back. This is the gospel. And we need to be clear on this, okay? Because it is Jesus that saves. It's not the church that saves us from sin. And this is so significant because oftentimes the message of the church is this. All right, bring people to church. Invite them to church. And then they'll sit and they will listen and we'll teach them how to get involved and how to tithe. Or, hey, go out and meet people invite them to church, they're gonna meet one of the pastors, he's gonna tell them everything that they need to know, and then the professional Christians that are on staff with the church, they'll take it from there. So often, this is the message of the church. Guys, this is not what we're about. And this leads to the second thing that we need to be clear on, which is the role of the church. 
And Christian, I would even ask you, like, what, what would you say the primary role of the church would be? Just think about that. How would you explain what that is? And the beautiful thing is we don't have to kind of come up with this. That we can look to the Bible. We can look to Jesus' words with his great commission to go and to make disciples. We're to go to the people whom God loves with the message that Jesus loves and that Jesus saves. Or as, as Acts 1.8 puts it, we're to go and to be his witnesses to all the earth. It's this idea of evangelism, all right, which if you've been around the church for a while, you've, you've likely heard that word. But when we talk about evangelism, we're really just talking about this. It's simply a Christian talking to a non-Christian about Jesus. This is an inviter. And this is what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 8. And so I'm just going to walk us through this passage. I'm going to draw out some things for us, and then we're going to end with some application. But here's the big idea. I want you to know this. As we think about being an inviter, you need to know the truth that God uses people to save people. And we're going to see this beautiful truth here in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court office official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. All right, so here's what's going on here, okay? The book of Acts is really just a historical account of the birth of the church following the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And throughout the first seven chapters of Acts, if you read it, you see clearly the church just exploding as Jesus raises from the dead. And the Holy Spirit kind of descends. The church is birthed. It's growing. Thousands of people are meeting Jesus. It's like a huge Billy Graham crusade. It was amazing. And here... In the first three verses, we meet four characters that we need to look at. And as we get to know these four characters, you're going to see the great lengths that God goes through to save one single person from sin and death and hell. And this is significant because if you're familiar with your Bible, through the first seven chapters of Acts, we see God saving thousands of people. There's great crowds of people that are coming to know Jesus. And while God does in fact love crowds, here in Acts chapter 8, the camera kind of zooms in on one guy. And you know why this happens? Listen to this. God doesn't just love numbers. He loves faces. He loves individuals and he loves you. Someone in here needs to be reminded of this this morning, that God loves you. And he's got a plan to seek you and to serve you and to save you. And it's not because anything that you did, because you're a great person, but it's because he's great. And if, this, if you're a Christian, guys, this is what God has done for you. And if you're not a Christian at this point, this is what God is doing for you today. And that's ultimately why you're here. And so let's look at these four characters, okay? If you look back, the first, we, we see an angel. An angel shows up on the scene. And if you were around through our study of the book of Daniel, we talked a lot about angels. And so I'm not going to get into this too much, but I will say this, okay? For God, there are two realms, but one reality. There's the physical realm with human beings, and then there's the spiritual realm with spiritual beings. These are angels. And so angels are real, they're, they're active, and it, it was not just in Bible times that we look at this and all of a sudden they disappeared. 
I mean, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that angels are, are simply just ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And the reality is, guys, is that all of us all the time are being touched by the ministry of angels, though we don't oftentimes see them. But an angel is simply a messenger and a, and a minister of God to help us, to protect us, to prepare us, and to guide us in truth. And ultimately, God uses angels for his perfect purpose, his glory, and for our good. But here's the point. God here used one of his angels to show up and guide Philip to help a guy that God loves. And this leads to the second character, Philip. All right, and if you're familiar with your Bible, we meet Philip back in Acts chapter 6 where he's installed as a deacon It says that he was filled with the Spirit, and so Philip is just a godly guy. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He loves Jesus. This angel comes to him, and he says, I need you to go to the middle of nowhere. And we need to understand, like, the geography in this point, okay? And to understand this, the the, the road from Jerusalem to where Philip was at, to Gaza, was a road that Jews would not typically travel on. It was a desert road. It was very dangerous, as Gaza was in the city of the Philistines, who were just like fierce enemies of God, of the Jews. And so this command by this angel, it likely didn't make any sense to Philip. I mean, if you just think about it, he's sitting there, he's in Jerusalem, he's, he's doing good work, he's reaching a lot of people with the gospel of Jesus. God is using him in, in miraculous ways. The church is just exploding, lots of people becoming Christian, and then all of a sudden, God shows up and tells Philip, get out of here, just leave. And I imagine, like, Philip is probably thinking, like, wait, what? Like, everything is going good. Like, there's a lot of good things. There's thousands of people meeting Jesus. Great things are happening here. Why would I leave this place to go to the middle of nowhere? But you know why? There was one person there that God loves. There's one person there that needed to hear about Jesus. Do you see how beautiful this is? God sees that one guy. I love that guy. He needs Jesus. Who's going to go? There's Philip, filled with the Spirit, and he says, go. I want you to see the beauty of this. That God loves one person enough that he put together an entire plan to get to that one person with the good news of Jesus. And this is so important to know about our God. That our God is a God of the one And we learn of this in places like Matthew 18 where Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. We have a God who's the God of the one. He sees and he loves you and he's pursuing you. He's making a way for you specifically. He loves you. He sees you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to know that you are one of those people that Jesus loves so much. Regardless of what you're doing with your life right now and what you're believing, he loves you. He sees you. He died for you. You're one of these people. And God has been preparing you and pursuing you because he wants you to come to himself. He wants you to come to know Jesus so you can find forgiveness of your sin. And that's ultimately what you're doing here today. He's preparing you for salvation. And for the Christians here today, I want you to see this, okay? Because Philip's presence on this road reveals something significant about the call of the gospel in the life of a Christian. That if you truly embrace and understand the gospel and are determined to follow after Jesus, hear me, 
you may find yourself going places you never thought you'd go or doing things you never thought you'd do. That obedience to the gospel oftentimes requires us to obey in unexpected ways, just like Philip, who gives us this beautiful picture of an inviter. Many of you, you don't know, you've probably heard his name, Mitchell Carlson. All right, Mitchell Carlson is a member of our church planning team who went to Japan. I love this. I see this, this posture in this perspective with Mitchell. Mitchell moved here from Iowa to help us start this church about four and a half years ago. He was going to take grad classes and become like a professor. No intention of doing anything else besides that. And then all of a sudden, he's reading his Bible. He has this experience with God. The Holy Spirit breaks in and says, leave here. And he tried. He raised support. He tried to go to China, but then COVID happened and he got kicked out of there. And he came back here and it would have been easy for him to just kind of say, okay, well, I gave it the college try. Now I'm going to go back and just make money. He had this posture of just listening to God and the Holy Spirit just said, go. And he left. This is the heart of an inviter. But as we look at Philip, this angel shows up and without giving any explanation told him to just go south to the middle of nowhere and Philip simply just said, okay. Because the proper perspective, the proper response to any time in the life of a Christian where God shows up and says something is just anything, anytime, anywhere. I trust you. This is Philip. This is the posture of a spirit-filled person. And here's what I love about this. There are many sitting in this room right now. There are some of you that I know you're in the process of going overseas as a missionary. You never thought this would be your future. Your parents think you're insane, but you're going. You sense God's call on your life to go love people in a different place that you don't know and just give them the gospel. There's some of you here that you've started relationships with, with poor and afflicted people here in our city. And you've given money and time and energy to help people where it didn't make any sense for your financial portfolio. But you felt like God was just saying, give, help, love. And you're starting to see how the gospel is moving forward both in your life and other people's life by your obedience to Jesus and living like him. And when this happens, guys, this is when Isaiah 55 begins to make sense, where God says his thoughts and his ways, they're not our thoughts and ways, but his thoughts and ways are actually higher than our thoughts and ways. And so we humble ourselves before God and just say, teach me your thoughts and ways and give me the courage to follow you there. This is Philip. He, he listens to God and he just says, yes. Puts his yes on the table. Philip said, okay, God, if you've got one guy who you love, who needs Jesus and needs to be invited into the family of God, I'll go. I'll go. God was using this in preparation for a person that he loves to receive his love through Jesus. And so let me just ask you this, guys. Are you willing to go for one person? And I'm not just talking about going overseas as a missionary, but I'm talking about going across the street to a neighbor across the office to a coworker? Are you willing to give yourself and your time to one person whom God loves? This may be what God is asking of you, and this is what Jesus did for us. And while this doesn't 
mean that God is gonna ask all of us to move across the world and become like traveling evangelists. God oftentimes asks us to pursue in love one person, speaking to them about Jesus. And this is what Philip does. He's willing because he's got the posture of an inviter. And this one guy that God loves and sends Philip to is this man who's an Ethiopian eunuch, okay? This is the third character that we see, and I need to explain what a eunuch is, okay? So there's gonna be a diagram that comes up here on the screen, okay? No, that'd be weird. But how do you become a eunuch? Right, guys, we don't like to think about that, right? The vasectomy sounds pretty good at that point, right? That's weird, I'm sorry. But you get castrated, right? And this came along with the job that this guy had. All right, some of you guys think your job is terrible. After thinking about the eunuch, you're going to walk in tomorrow and you're going to be like, that's just not that bad. The cubicle looks pretty good, right? But this man, he was a servant of the queen of Ethiopia. And since he was surrounded by the queen and her harem, in order to ensure the safety of these women, this men, these men that were with them had to be castrated so they wouldn't be tempted to pursue these women. But here's what I want you to see about this man. God was preparing him for an invitation to the salvation that Jesus gives even before this Ethiopian eunuch knew and loved him. See, this Ethiopian man has apparently, he's heard of the Hebrew God and his people and for some reason he's got this idea in his head that he's got to get to Jerusalem because God is doing something amazing in this city and he needed to go see it because he wanted to go find God for himself. He had no idea who he was, but he's hearing about this movement that's happening over in Jerusalem, and he's got to go. And so he takes this long trip that took months, and he's seeking hard for answers. And furthermore, he somehow has a copy of parts of the scripture, and he's reading them, but he's not fully understanding them. He's reading the words. Maybe some of you you feel like this. You're newer to the Bible. You're newer to the church. You're newer to Christianity. You open up the Bible. You're like, this looks like a phone book. I don't know what to do with this. You don't understand it. This is this guy but he's eagerly seeking after God that he hears about. He doesn't know him, but God is preparing him to meet him. And maybe this is some of you today as you sit in your seat. Are you looking for God? Is that what brought you here today? This was me for years. I had thoughts about God. I didn't really know Christians, but I, I, had, I had thoughts that there has to be a God. I didn't know who he was, never heard about Jesus, never really saw a Bible. I remember going to college, I met some Christians. They had something in their life, some like contentment, some joy that I really wanted, but didn't make sense to me. But it just made me intrigued. I didn't know how to get it. And I remember I started going to church to look for answers. I had a Bible that someone gave me, I would, I would read it, but never really understood it. And as I look back, I can see that for years, God was preparing my heart to be open enough to receive Jesus' invitation to salvation. This Ethiopian guy's heart is opening up to God. Right? He's thinking, I've got to get to Jerusalem so I can fig- figure out who this God is and I can worship him. And even though he's not a Christian, he's looking for God. And let me just say, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is you right now. You're here, you decided to wake up early on Super Bowl Sunday, you made a trip to find God at a trampoline park, a little bit different from Jerusalem, but you're here. And we're here, we're worshiping God, we love you, we're glad that you're here, we want you to meet Jesus. And that might even sound weird to some of you guys, you love me, you don't even know me, no, I don't. 
But I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. That means I love you. In all of this, you are the one. The God of the one has seen you and he loves you. But this is the Ethiopian man. God is moving in his life. He's preparing him for the invitation of Jesus. And so we've seen the angel, we've seen Philip, we've seen this eunuch, and the fourth character in this text is the Holy Spirit. All right, and the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. We have one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the gift of the indwelling presence of God to someone who has come to Jesus in faith. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to seal us for salvation, to guide us, to counsel us, to teach us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to empower us. He's the one who empowers us to live for, like, and with Jesus. That the Christian life is not so much something that I live for God, but it's something that God lives through me through his presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just empowers us to live like Jesus for his glory and the good of the world. And this includes guiding us and enabling us to to live like Jesus towards the people around us, but also empowering us to go like Philip and speak to people who who God loves that need Jesus, just like we do. But the Holy Spirit leads Philip to go to this Ethiopian man, ultimately to invite him to Jesus. But with all this, guys, here's what I want you to know. There's no coincidences in life that God is working in many ways in our lives that we oftentimes don't see. And this work involves so many things and they all come together for good, for God's ultimate good plan. That God is always pursuing us, he's always working on us, he's always preparing us. And so let me just say this, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that today is just another divine moment where God is preparing you to see Jesus and to receive his love and forgiveness, that he loves you. And he's going through great lengths, just like he went with this Ethiopian man, so that you can come to know Jesus. This is why you're here. Now look back to verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Join, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, so here's what happened. All right, the Ethiopian man, he's traveled for months to Jerusalem to find God. He arrives, he tries to go into the temple to worship, but because of Jewish law in Leviticus 21 and Deuteronomy 23, he's likely not permitted to go into the temple to worship with God's people because not only was he a Gentile, he was not a Jew, but the law said that eunuchs can't enter the temple. And so he likely just kind of stood outside from a distance, was observing everything that was going on. And so in short, this man was seen and treated just like an outcast, a religious outsider, someone who could not be welcomed into God's presence. He didn't look like a Jew as he was presumably a black African. 
He was a eunuch. He didn't have the right heritage, the right background, the right lifestyle. And so you can imagine this guy is just really bummed out after making this long journey. He's denied access to God. And so he kind of just turns back to his guys that were traveling with him. He's like, okay, I guess we're going. We're going to head back. And this is where we see Philip being led by an angel and the Spirit to the middle of nowhere. He runs into this guy. And as Philip is walking down this desert road, not knowing why he's there, the Spirit says, there's the guy I love. Go talk to him. Now again, Philip is, we know he's filled with the Spirit. He's a godly man, but he's not a perfect man. And so I think it's reasonable to assume that he might have had the thought, wait a second, that guy? Like, he doesn't look like me. He's very different. That guy? He's from a different place. He's got different values. There's no way that that can be the guy that God loves. There's no way that God would even want to hear about God. And if I just go and talk with him, this is going to be really awkward. Have you ever felt like that? You try and talk to your family members or your friends about Jesus, and you're just like, this is going to be so awkward. You feel that? I'm the only one? Okay, great. We've got a bunch of evangelists in here. It's praise the Lord. <laughs> but he listens to the Spirit, and surely Jesus' words are going on in his head, and he's reminded of the love of God for all people, and that no one is too far, that God loves that God can save anyone as he loves everyone. And this is true for you today. That maybe you're sitting here and you feel like, man, I'm way different from these people. I don't really fit in. I want you to know that's not the voice of God, that there's room for you in Jesus' family. Amen? Amen? There's room for you in Jesus' family, and he died to prove that to you. And so Philip goes, and he doesn't just go, but he runs to this guy. And he gets there and he hears this man reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. It was customary to kind of read out loud in these times. And he wasn't just reading the prophet Isaiah, but Isaiah 53, which is perhaps like the most famous Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. And in this section that the Ethiopian is reading, Isaiah is speaking about a Messiah, a Savior, who would suffer and die for his people. And how that suffering and that death would lead to salvation and the rescue for sinful people who are separated from God. And as this eunuch is hearing this news, he wants this, but he's so confused. He doesn't know who Isaiah is talking about. As we, if you look back to verse 34, he's never heard back about Jesus. He has no idea who he's talking about. And so Philip's just running alongside this chariot and he says, do you know what you're reading? And this eunuch is like, no, but can someone tell me about it? And so he pulls over the chariot, invites Philip up, and Philip just sits with this man. And in verse 35, Philip shares the good news of Jesus and invites him to God. But I want you to see the way that Philip presents the gospel to this man. All right, he met this guy where he was at. He answered his questions and he got to Jesus as quickly as he could. And here's what I'll tell you. Guys, when God intersects your life with someone who needs Jesus, we can talk about all types of spiritual things. You can talk about the church. You can talk about theology. You can do all of this stuff, but we must talk about the person and work of Jesus above all. We have to get to Jesus as soon as we can because it's always about Jesus. He's the one who saves. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save all who believe. And in those moments, you might feel awkward. 
giving Jesus, sharing the gospel. Right, you get in those places, you're like, you're like I'm gonna, I need to share the gospel with this person, I need to tell them about Jesus, that Jesus loves them. Are they gonna think I'm like a whack job? Are they gonna hate me? Like, are they gonna, what are they gonna think? They're gonna blow me off? But here's, guys, here's how I see it. It's better that I feel awkward and they meet Jesus than I don't feel awkward and they don't meet Jesus. Amen? I mean, because I would trade awkwardness for salvation any day. And so Philip goes, he shares, and he invites this man to Jesus. And this account wraps up in verses 36 through 39. Look at this. And as they're going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch's heart had been so well prepared by God to receive his gospel that it seems like he believed like almost immediately and then asked to be baptized. And if you notice, guys, in your Bible, it goes from verse 36 to 38. Did you catch that? Here's, here's what's going on, okay? Verse 37 is, is likely at the bottom of the page of your Bible in a footnote saying, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, and he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. But here's why this is down there, okay? In the oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we have, they don't contain verse 37, so it should be omitted from the text. But the reality is still something like that confession must have occurred in order for Philip to baptize the eunuch. And as he was baptized, he confessed his faith personally, believing Jesus for the rescue of God for his sin, and then proclaimed it openly in front of his entire entourage that was traveling with him. This is what baptism is all about. It's an act of obedience. And I know that there's some of you, you've come to know Jesus and you haven't been baptized because this is the easiest thing that Jesus ever asked us to do. And so if you have questions about this, like we want you to obey Jesus. We want you to know, love, and obey Jesus. And baptism is part of this. But this eunuch's response to the gospel has in fact three parts. He confessed that Jesus is his salvation. He obeyed Jesus in baptism and then he went on rejoicing as we see in verse 39. And as he went on rejoicing, he did so because he finally understood what Jesus gave him and he finally understand the salvation of God from sin. Some of you today, you will leave here rejoicing because you've put your faith in Jesus and your whole life has changed. You now have hope and peace and purpose like you never had before. But for this eunuch, because I love this. He went back to Ethiopia and this is what happened. All right, this is actually like a fulfillment of prophecy. All right, because in Acts 1.8, it says that you will be my witnesses. Jesus said you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia was seen as the edge of the world and this is the gospel breaking out to the ends of the world. That the Ethiopian comes to know Jesus, he receives the gospel, and then he goes back to his hometown and he just starts sharing the gospel. And the gospel, just as Jesus said, will go to the ends of the world, happens here. The early church father, Irenaeus, he said that the recording of this ancient eunuch, he takes the gospel back to Ethiopia and it began to spread there because he just couldn't contain it and he just started inviting all of the people in his home country to Jesus. I mean, how awesome is this? I've seen this happen in my family, in my friend groups. When I became a Christian, 
I've seen it happen in some of your families. It's amazing. This is how the gospel gets to all the people of the world whom God loves. God uses people to save people. Because this is how the gospel will get to the people of Madison that God loves. It's not just having a church service that people can come to, but it's you as God's people, a room full of Phillips, going to the everyday stuff of life, following the Spirit, and going to the people around you with Jesus. This is an inviter. And so let me just end with some like really practical stuff, guys. How do we live as an inviter? I was thinking about this for, for my life. There's, there's three things that I try and live out. Number one, if you're a note taker, it's about seeing people. We see people. And we've talked about this, that we all kind of view people in like one of three ways, scenery, machinery, or ministry. Some of you, you walk through life and you walk past people and they're like a tree that you walk past or a car, hoping that it doesn't get in your way. You don't actually love people, you don't engage with people, but they're just scenery along your walk of life. Others of you, you actually see people, but you see them as like machinery where you'll engage with them. You'll have a relationship with them if they can produce something for you. If they can add something to your life, sure, you'll befriend them, you'll love them, but the minute they stop producing, you drop them. It's a machinery mindset. Jesus didn't view people as scenery or machinery, but as ministry, as people who bear the image of God, whom God loves, and so he loved. And so we actually see people and pray that God would allow you to actually see people like God sees people. Number two, as we speak to people, we don't just see them, but we actually speak to them, engaging with people just as Jesus did. We love them, we serve them, we help them, but we also give them the gospel. I mean, if you just think about it, if the gospel is real, if heaven and hell are real, guys, how much do we have to hate people to not invite them to Jesus? This is kind of where I'm at. It's like the pinnacle of hatred to know. Like I, we speak to people. And then number three, guys, we pray for people. Is there a true, there's true power in prayer. So we see them, we speak to them, and regardless of the response, we pray. And we just ask God to do the work that we can't we can speak on behalf of Jesus, we can serve on behalf of Jesus, but it's only Jesus that can save. And so we ask God to open eyes and soften hearts, and we ask God to give us opportunities to love people and to give people the gospel and to lead people to Jesus. And as you pray that, guys, this is a prayer that God would love to answer. I mean, I'll tell you, the guy who shared the gospel with me in college probably shared the gospel with me a couple hundred times over the course of whatever, seven years I was there, or however long it was. But he did. And I remember asking him, like, why? Why did you stick with me for so long? And he was just like, I love you and God loves you. And I just prayed hard and God wouldn't let me leave you. It took 23 years for me to come to Jesus. So we see people, we speak to people, and we pray for people. And so I'm out of time, but Doxa, God uses people to save people. If you want to boil Christianity down, it's one way to do it. J.I. Packer 
says that the gospel is this, is that God saves sinners. Amen? Amen. God saves. It's the big idea of the Bible. And this is what we hold on to. We love Jesus. This is why we sing to Jesus. And this is why we live towards people like Jesus, so that they can experience the salvation of God that we have, and we can invite them to the family of God. This is what God has for your life. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. Be like Philip, ultimately, who is like Jesus. And so this is the question I'm gonna leave you just to sit for a minute. Guys, who is in front of you? Who's in front of you? God put this Ethiopian eunuch right in front of Philip, in the middle of nowhere. Who's in front of you? A family member, a coworker, a neighbor, Who's in front of you that God is sending you towards to invite them to know Jesus? As not everyone will believe the gospel, but everyone should be invited. Christian, this is the posture of an inviter. Let's live this out, living like Jesus, who invited us. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, what will you do with him today? Will you come to him and receive him or will you reject him? This is what I believe God has for us today. And so I'm just gonna give you some time to get before Jesus and just ask the Holy Spirit who is in front of you. Pray for that person. Ask God to change your heart that you would see people like he does. And then we're gonna continue in worship. Let me pray and I'm just gonna let you sit. Father, we love you. Jesus, I still remember the night that you opened my eyes and I saw your glory and you saved me from my sin. I still remember that room, 226 North Enterprise. And you just opened my eyes to who you are. And Jesus, I just say thank you. Thank you for all the stories in here of people that you love and you have saved through faith. And God, I know that there are people in here that you love that have not come to you. And so Holy Spirit, I just ask that you just help them to understand the gospel even now. And God, would you allow us to be a church filled with people who have your eyes, your heart towards the people around us and that we would see Many people come to know you, Jesus. Help us to be a church where people are actually the mission. To not get caught up into all the religion and all the stuff that can come, but God, just let us be about the people that you love. So as we sit, would you just show us who's in front of us? and help us to have love and courage to go. Love them and speak to them.